Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back. It's Ayers on the Road. We're excited this week to be talking to you again about marriage. But first, we're going to talk about what a glorious time of year this is. It is a glorious time of year. And can you believe, Linda, we seem to be doing, I mean, how does a week go by so fast? It's like we just did this radio show yesterday or the day before. I and know. a week goes by. How do you slow time down? Sometimes we should do a, a whole show on how do you slow time down? How do you get your kids to quit growing up so fast? How do you enjoy the smell of the roses? Well, it's a little late for that, but how, why are we all in such a rush? You know, it is really true. Oh gosh. You just turn around and put out that fire, put out that fire. And, and sometimes we just don't take time to enjoy where we are and who we are and what we want to do. That's really on our minds this week because I'm just finishing up a book that Linda's really helped me with, although it's one of the few that we're not actually co-authoring, and it's called The Happiness Paradox, and um, we'll tell you more about it in future weeks, but it comes out on New Year's Day, and it suggests that one of the problems is that we're all so busy and so caught up in our efforts to control things and to own things and to um, be independent that we just don't have time to for any of the really great things in life and it's one of those books you know that where you feel like you're sort of preaching to yourself <laughs> how do we how do we overcome this you think maybe if I write a book about it I can do better <laughs> I know it really is it's good it's cathartic to write a book because you realize how you need to change and what you need to do to make and we might, we might as well be honest and say, well, you know, the, the next book after this one's finally delivered, we think of books kind of like babies. You got to go through the, 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 the gestation period and then you got to go through labor and then you got to be, then you got to deliver them. We've kind of been in labor here this last little while, but once we get this book delivered, the next one that we're already well into is, is our first and only book on marriage. A lot of people think that's a little ironic because we speak so much to, to families and so on. Why haven't you done one on marriage? Well, it's taken us about 50 years to figure it out. <laughs> well, and I don't think we have a perfect even. I have not fixed you completely yet. <laughs> well, good. But, when you do it, it won't be exciting anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, it really is a good thing to think about. Um, and we are excited to have this coming out. It'll be, uh, let's see, next. It'll summer. be next, next summer. summer and yeah. our, and the one reason we're doing these 10 um, best ideas or best practices or the best 10 marriage tips, uh, this little mini series on the radio, <clears throat> is because we're thinking about it. We're, you know, we're, I mean, it's one thing, we all think about our marriages and we all try to do better. And it's one thing to do that. It's another thing to try to actually conceptualize and organize and write down what it is that you're trying to do. And that's essentially what we're doing on this marriage book is try to get it right in our own minds, even though, I mean, the old, the old cliche really applies. It's, it's easier to say it than to do it. But, you know, saying it is important, figuring it out. Right getting an, an idea of what your goal is in your marriage. That's, 
that's the beginning. That's the plan. And we're talking about something really interesting today that we I don't know that we spent much time talking about at all on the radio. Well, before you divulge what it is, how about we how about we trick the listeners a little bit today? And uh, you'll some of you may know what the topic of today's show is if you look at byuradio.org. But if you don't, we're going to trick you into what that title is by by telling you a very interesting experience. And Linda, it's about arranged marriages. That's not what the title of the show is or the topic, but we're going to start there because it turns out arranged marriages are not as goofy as some of us think they are. (laughs) Man, we have had the rare privilege of being amongst many people in the, especially in the Middle East in India, um, where arranged marriages is the still the way to go, but it's different than you're thinking right now. Um, we were speaking in India, in Agra one day, and we, to an audience of about 25 couples, and we were talking about families and marriage, and one little uh, woman lay, raised her hand and said, how does that work in an arranged marriage? Yeah, how does that apply in, in an arranged marriage? And we suddenly were kind of taken back and we said well how many of you have arranged marriages and 80 percent raised their I hand. but they, they all raised their hand didn't they no all there were one a few well there were some international people <laughs> oh, in the right, group, you know, right, that right. didn't go with that but it really was breathtaking and from that moment on uh, when we've been speaking to people in in, in saudi and in uh, Dubai, Oman, Bahrain, yeah. you know, uh, all those places. It is quite stunning. Um, it has changed our mind about it. It I mean, absolutely you know, has. I mean, it's we, not, we view it differently. There are still some situations in India that are horrifying, like they're they're arranging a marriage of a nine-year-old to a forty-year-old or whatever. I mean, that's horrible. But um, it really is quite delightful to think and the way we got converted was that we had dinner one night with a magnificent couple with three gorgeous children who he was the president of this international young president's organization and they started telling what us what was that dinner we were in were we in uh, uh, i think we were in pakistan no, no, I no, I think we we're in South Africa. But anyway, it was a big oh, international a big, that, meeting. Yeah. Come from, yeah. And so they started telling us about how they got together. And this uh, this woman's a dad had decided that this guy was the guy for her and he said, "We're going to have this party. I just want you to meet him and the family will be here and this is going to be so exciting." And I mean, so they arranged a big elaborate party, very expensive, lots of food. And at the end, she looked at her dad and said, nope, I'm not doing that. I want to be a dentist, and I'm going to go off and become a dentist. So she said, okay, well, She that's came to fine. dental school in America. And, so she came know. to dental school, and she went back. And when she had finished her degree, she went back, and her dad said, I'm just inviting this guy to lunch. You don't have to come down if you don't want to. But, um, you know, just, just come and say hello or whatever. Anyway, she sat down with them at lunch, and suddenly it was the right time, the right place, and an awesome guy. 
And so she... And that was her husband. They were now married. Yeah, they they were now married with these three gorgeous children. Well, I'm sure it's not that successful in every case, but it is really encouraging to know that it's not just, you know, you don't meet that person until the day you're married and all that stuff. And and although that still happens. Now, again, today's show is not on arranged marriages, but we're using this as a device to get into what the show is about. And so let me just tell you one more little thing we've, we've come to appreciate about arranged marriages. A, a large part of the world, that is still the tradition. That is still basically the way people get married. And uh, it's not as arbitrary as it used to be, although, as you mentioned, Linda, in some parts of the world, it's still very abusive. But in most of the places we have been and been exposed to arranged marriages, here's what basically happens. The family of of the the bride or of the groom meets another family that they like or it might be an old friend or something they're they're a family with a lot of compatibility and they suggest the possibility that hey this might be someone for you to be interested in son or daughter and they get them together at a party or some other thing and the whole family meets the whole family and then the two kids the man and the woman begin to date or have a courtship or whatever. And if it it works out, you know, fine, but they have total veto power. So it's really like a matchmaker thing, but it includes the whole family. So about three months ago, we were in New York City, actually in New Jersey, across the river, uh, speaking to a group. And there was a couple from India there who were telling us their story. That's true. I I mean, this is current. This was just happened. They'd only been married for about a year. And it was it was really delightful to hear how they meshed those two families together, who they kind of knew that um, their their families were similar and that they had a lot of similar interests and so on and so on. But they were so dynamite together. I mean, they were so great together. So we kind of become converted. Well, and we often <laughs> oh. joke. We have one son that's not married yet, and we. We always say to him, tongue in cheek, but a little bit serious in some ways. Why don't you just let us do an arranged marriage? We we have a lot of good ideas. We know <laughs> we know what you what you're like, and we know who would work just great for you. But we cannot get him to go with it. But you know, it's interesting because even in the modern world, it's a little different now. Because I was sitting by a young woman in Abu Dhabi who uh, said she had an arranged marriage, but she um, was emailing. You know, they the parents kind of let them meet once, they and, then they email, marriage and then they emailed. Yeah, and then they emailed. <laughs> they had seen each other, but then they emailed for the rest of the time for the courtship. And so then, where are we going? Where are we going with all this? You may wonder as a listener, and and it may be pretty obvious by now. What what the subject of today's show is 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 very similar and related in a tangential way to what we've been talking about. The subject of the show is embracing your spouse's family and understanding that a marriage, any marriage, we're not talking anymore about arranged marriages, marriages ideally are a joining of two families and your in-laws become your family and your family becomes the in-laws of your spouse and the best marriages embrace that. The best marriages understand that. The best marriages really make an effort to merge two families. That sounds funny, merge two families. It sounds like a corporate merger, or it sounds like the ancient days when one of the reasons you got married 
was to bring two people together or to stop a war or to create a bigger empire or bigger business or whatever. And we're not talking about any of that, but we are talking about how real it is to, to understand that the best marriages involve the merging of two families. And that only happens if you make an effort to really embrace the family of your spouse. Now, some of you out there listening would, um, would be thinking, hmm, I don't, I don't that, doesn't, do that, that doesn't work for me because, um, a, you can, uh, your, your children may have married into a, fa a totally dysfunctional family, you know, and in or that a family case, you don't like. it's totally different or a family you don't like. And there's always, um, there's always issues in families. A little There's issue. always issues. Why do those people have other... to have the kids for? Why do they want? Uh, why do they have to have Christmas parties so that our kids can't come to my house? <laughs> my it, Christmas it, party. <laughs> no, but it's it's beyond that. I mean, we have such an array of in-laws with eight um, marriages. None of our children have ever married anybody who lived locally where we lived. And so they've, we've got three in Texas, not, not we've got one in Switzerland, we've yeah. got one in um, California, New York, everywhere. California, yeah. um, it really is interesting because, and, and they're not only uh, so different in geologic and geographically, but they are different religiously. Some are very active in our church and some are not. Some are very anti our church. And yeah, um, you, you get know, all kinds. It, there's just so many things to deal with as you deal with these in-law families. But the whole point of today's show, and we're going to really dive into it after after a little break here in a minute. But we, the whole point is, your marriage. If one thing you can do to improve your marriage is to embrace the families of your respective spouses, because over time that will bring to bear a lot of positive things on your union. Uh, just as negative feelings or, or antagonism to members of your spouse's family will ultimately have a bad effect and a bad ramification on your own marriage. Now, we know there's a lot of jokes, a lot of tongue-in-cheek, like, well, you can't get along with your mother-in-law, you know, and so on and so forth. But you can, and... Uh, we have a few ideas on how you can do that a little bit better. You know, there are so many things that um, that happen when your children get married. Um, and it's not just your relationship with those in-laws. It's also the relationship with the grandchildren. You know, yeah, so we're looking at it from not only the standpoint of you in your marriage, but of parents looking at their children who are getting married. So right after this break, we are going to talk about how to be good co-grandparents, among other things. So stick with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Right after this brief message. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back. We're talking today about um, marriage, but in a little different way. Embracing your spouse's family. And we don't only mean giving them a hug. We mean embracing them and really and truly understanding that you now have a whole other family that you didn't realize you had before. I'm not sure I love the term in-laws. What do you think, Linda, in-laws? Well, uh, we have a friend who doesn't call them in-laws. She calls them in-loves. 
in-loves, my in-loves. <laughs> I like that better. That's kind of cool, isn't it? Because in-laws kind of has some implications, but I guess it depends on on how you use the term. Um, in fact, while we're on names, let's let's just sort of ease into it this way. Um, what do you call your father-in-law and your mother-in-law? And what do you call your son-in-law or your daughter-in-law? And do what you, do your daughter-in-law and son-in-law call you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, what, what do you think? Is, is there anything in a name? You know, um, do your do your sons and daughters-in-law call you by their first name? By your first name? Do they just say, "Hey, hi, Rick. Hi, Linda," and is that good, or or do they do they call you mom and dad? Or do they call you mom-in-law and dad-in-law? Well, what do you call them? The answer to that is all of the above. <laughs> because we... But what's the best thing? Well, our first son-in-law asked us what we wanted to be calling. So why don't you just call us mom and dad? So he's always called us mom and dad. And we love that. And and that's great. But then they're not really their mom and dad. So some of those in, in between, most of those in between. Actually, the only other one that calls mom and dad is the last marriage. He called, but he, but he's last. kind of formal. He, he calls us um, um, dad ire, mom ire. Sometimes. Yeah, so he does that. He's one or two call us Momsy and Dadly. <laughs> no, <laughs> those are adopted. Well, kids. there's That's a lot. There's, there's a lot of variety, but th- but I, and we're not saying there's a right or wrong answer. But think about that, and um, maybe that ought to be a topic of discussion because maybe talking in your family about what you call each other might be. I don't think you should insist on something. I mean, I think that's a little arbitrary. Say, look. You're my son-in-law, but I'm going to call you son, and you call me dad. I mean, you get you, you don't want to be arbitrary or dictatorial, but you might want to talk about it, and the discussion of it might reveal some things. What what would they like? How do they think of each other? How do they think of you? How do you think of them? How do you make it more intimate and close? How do you avoid? This is a big thing, Linda, and you're really good at this. How do you avoid the distinction? You've got some daughters, and you've got some daughters-in-law. But don't you really want to think of them all as your daughters? Yes, but they aren't really my daughters because they have their own mother. And well, so it right, really right. is really a fine line. Everybody um, kind of thinks of that differently. I know you would love for just everybody to feel like a big rosy family and call. Well, I'd like to get rid of the I'd like to get rid of the other side of the family and just have them all be my family. So <laughs> yeah. I don't have to worry about have to deal with these that. other irritating people who want some of their time. But you know, um, uh, most of my daughter and daughters in law call me Linda. I fact, all of them do. Um, and it really is, but it's such a joy because they are really integrated. They're really part of our family and we love them so dearly because of the experiences they've had and because now they're part of our family and raising our children now. Well, you do such, and again, we're looking our at this from the grandparents standpoint. We'll turn around in a minute and look at it from the, the child standpoint, but you do such a good job with that, Linda, because you have this club. I have one too, but you're more you're better at it than me, the mothers and future mothers of IR realm. And you do things with these daughters and daughters in law, you take them on trips. They're, they they all feel integrated like sisters, don't you think? I think they do. They email each other. Um, we have a little email chain and so that they chip in when they want to. Some are more active than others, that's fine. Um, and sometimes they can't always come every time. But um, it, it's really tricky because 
it, your your daughters are always hold a special place in your heart, and it is kind of fun to get together once in a while with just your daughters. But you have to be so careful that um, the other girls know about it, and that they um, know that they'll they have their own sisters. Luckily, we have all of our daughters in law have their own sisters, so they can get together with them. Let's switch it around now and look at it from the standpoint of a young married couple. Uh, let's say you're just getting married and uh, you, you uh, listen, I mean, sometimes you've hardly even met your in-laws, right? I mean, we've got a grandson who's about to get married. He has not yet met his father-in-law-to-be because the, the, the other family lives in Texas. They're starting to meet him, but the wedding's in December and there's no way that they're going to really know their in-laws on in either direction really well when they first get married. And that's very common. I mean, some of you out there may be thinking, Hey, I met my father-in-law for the first time at our wedding reception or whatever. Now, ideally there would be, you know, and that's why we started out with this arranged marriage thing. Ideally it would be so cool to sort of have a courtship that included getting to know all of your future in-law relations, but that just doesn't happen very often. So let's say you're a young married couple. What should you be doing? How can you embrace, in every sense of the word, your spouse's family? Let me suggest one thing and then see where you take it, Linda. I think, I think if you're a young, fairly recently married person, you ought to make a real effort to take the initiative in meeting your mother-in-law or your father-in-law or both, and maybe even inviting them to dinner or finding some way to have a, a nice chat with them and actually ask them, Hey, what would you like me to call you? What, what would, I, you know, I want to have this. Um, I think of you as, uh, as another mom, another dad, how can we, how can we be closer? How can we help each other? I mean, Opening up that kind of a discussion will go a long way toward you embracing your spouse's family. Right. And sometimes that's already been decided because you're the fourth or fifth person you know, right, coming right, to the right. family. But it's still a great conversation to have and so that you um, you are sensitive to this other family that you're coming into. And because you're kind of jumping into a pond without really knowing what you're getting into. And um, sometimes it's easy. Sometimes your child is marrying somebody down the street and you've known them all around. You know, in fact, we have, uh, we kind of semi-adopted a little gal from Bulgaria that our daughter brought home from her mission. She was a fabulous person, just so great. Still is. And um, she, at one point, we were at dinner with some friends and she saw one of their sons and said, um, can you line me up with him? Because I think he's my husband <laughs> and, and we did. And they have had the most fairy tale life you can imagine. Now it makes us a little perturbed because we can't get any of our kids to marry our friends. Our friends kids. kids. We only did it with this one semi adopted daughter. You're right. right. But, but it is really a joy when we you know the family. Already. Yeah. We've not done well, <laughs> but, um, but it is just such a happy thing when you do know the family and so on, but it's not very common. Now let's shift back to the perspective of a, of a slightly older person, slightly older, like us, just slightly this older, a little kid. but, but think of yourself now in the situation of being a parent of married kids 
what can you do to to make that whole thing work better? Well, obviously the same kind of thing. You know, take your your new in-law son or daughter uh, to dinner or out or on a trip or something. Just just without your own son or daughter and really get to know them one on one. I mean, you can interview them before you get married, which uh, is what I, I did. You know with what all I'm laughing our... <laughs> about? You, you better tell them that story quickly. Well, the first time one of our daughters got married, I I interviewed the potential son-in-law. Interviewed is probably the operative it, it word for about right. nine hours. We drove to Jackson Hole together, just the two of us in the car, and I got lost intentionally a couple of times. And boy, I that kid almost backed out. <laughs> I don't blame him. That was cruel. But but I'm not talking about that now, Linda. I'm saying, you know, one of the things that we need to do as parents in these families is to embrace the other in-laws. I mean, we call them co-grandparents, like, you know, the, the, the parents of our daughters-in-law and sons-in-law, who are they really? They're going to share grandchildren with you. I mean, that's a pretty intimate basis for a relationship. You're going to agree on the five cutest grandkids in the world or whatever. Right. And so <clears throat> what effort are you making? Now, again, you may have known them all your life. They may be old friends or they may live in the same town. But in our case, they're from, you know, all around the world, different places. And we, and I'm not saying we're great at this. We're trying and we, we need to get better at it, Linda, of making those people our best friends. After all, they're the parents of our in-law children. And we need to be close to them in every possible way. If we don't live close, we need to correspond. We need to call them on the phone. We need to share memories and experiences because they're important. Well, they are co-grandparents. They are helping to raise our grandchildren and their, yeah. their input is so important. And, uh, and you know, if it's a dysfunctional family, that's a little different story, but we, you are so good at that, of corresponding with these people. And because as I mentioned earlier, none of them live anywhere near us. They, um, are here, there and in, in Europe. And it well, I'm really not great is, at it, but I make an effort out of it. Well, yeah, I, yeah just that's to what send we're a little asking note all once of in us to do is make an effort. Those people are very, very important to you. Yeah, and I, you can't call them your best friend, but you can call them somebody who's really near and dear to you because of the connection you have. And it's so fun because they teach your grand, our grandchildren so many awesome things that we could never teach them. Yeah. I, I love that aspect of it. And, and here's another thought as we're getting close to running out of time, but, but one reason this is so important, this whole subject of embracing your in-laws and the, your spouse's family, one reason it's so important is because often, in a subtle way, these relationships can start off with a little antagonism, not really serious, but you know, it's like our daughter's going through this now, you know, as, as, as her son gets married and one part of her thinks of this girl as sort of the one who's taking away her son. And, and you, you think of, Oh, now I've got a mother-in-law who's going to tell me what to do and who's going to be critical of me. And there's just a lot of things that can potentially start off an in-law or a spouse's family relationship with a little antagonism is not the right word, but a little potential negativity. And so in order to overcome that, we need to talk more. That's the bottom line. We need to have more 
conversations and interactions and dinner dates and outings and get-togethers and so on with this, the, the family of our spouse because that will bring a closeness and a commonality. And I mean, just start off by saying, what do we know about them? What don't we know about these in-laws that we'd like to know? Let's get together. Let's know more about each other's childhood. Let's know more about them. Yeah. You know what they like to do and what they're good at and what they feel concerned about and so on. Let's share those things. Yeah. And sometimes that's hard when it's a long distance relationship. But it is really crucial. I mean, we suggest that you do what it takes to whether it's through email or through FaceTiming or whatever. We have all these great facilities at our yeah, yeah. At our service. Use the use the electronics to really be in touch with people and and make it happen because here's the bottom line. Whether we like it or not, what a marriage really is, it's not a joining of two individuals. It's a joining of two, two families. families. Whatever yeah. those families are. <clears throat> and if we can recognize that and make the most of it instead of resenting it or resisting it. Guess what the result is? Our own marriage is going to get stronger and better and have more resilience. So that's your challenge for this week. Um, go for it. We love listen- that you're listening, and we love our audience um, on BBU Radio. Thanks for listening. See you next week on Ayers on the Road. Bye-bye.